Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our readings for today give us the occasion to reflect on a most important spiritual question. What happens to us after we die? Poets, philosophers, Religious figures have given over the centuries a wide range of answers to that question. Look at just a few of the options that have been on the intellectual table. Plato, the great Greek philosopher, he said that at death, the spiritual soul escapes from the prison of the body, so that even as the body dissolves and decays, the soul lives on in a higher realm, the realm of the forms. In fact, Plato says that the intellectual life here below is a kind of anticipation of this great liberty. Well, this dualist answer of Plato has proven extremely influential, so much so that I think an awful lot of Christians actually hold to some version of it. I think if you asked a lot of Christians what happens after we die, they'd say, well, the soul escapes from the body and now lives in this spiritual realm. Hinduism has held for centuries the doctrine of reincarnation or metempsychosis, the transmigration of souls. They would say, well, at death, the soul of a living thing, from an insect to a human being, passes into a new body, perhaps higher, perhaps lower on the scale of life, depending on how you conducted yourself. So a person might die and and be reincarnated as a cat. A cat might die, become reincarnated as a human being. Or maybe one human will pass into the body of of another. Only after a long process of purification does the soul finally shake off this association with matter. Okay, that's a very old and enduring doctrine in the East. It's also found its way into the imagination of a lot of people in the West. Think even today of many avatars of the New Age who believe in some version of reincarnation. Look at old Greek and Roman mythology. You'll find still another point of view. Greek and Roman mythology would say the dead go into a drab and lifeless underworld where existence is rather grim and where the dead long for life above the ground in the light of day and enjoying the praise of their friends. Oh, read those great myths about uh, Achilles and Hercules and so on. The Elysian fields that they talk about, well, they really aren't all that enticing. They're rather a place of listlessness and boredom. What if we turn to the Old Testament? What theories do we find? Well, one theory you'll find in the Old Testament is similar to that of the Greek and Roman mythology. You'll find some texts that say the dead go to the land of Sheol. What's that? Oh, it's a kind of drab, dark, shadowy underworld. Again, not very enticing. 
Remember that scene in the first book of Samuel when King Saul calls the prophet Samuel out of Sheol. Well, he's calling him out of this shadowy, uninspiring place. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, we find an even grimmer view. Many texts indicate that the dead, well, they simply disappear. They just return to the dust of the earth. The psalmist, remember, says famously, well, can the dead give you praise as I do today? You know, we the living, Lord, we're the ones that praise you. The dead, once they're gone, they're just gone. They go back into the earth. Isn't it intriguing how all the options I've mentioned are in various ways on the table even to this day? If you ask people, you know, what, what's your view of life after death or what happens after we die, you'd find versions of all of these. Okay. But something else emerges in the Old Testament that's really distinctive. And it's on display in our first reading today from the second book of Maccabees. This is the doctrine, listen, that the dead will, at the close of this age, be restored to life, not as disembodied souls, but with renewed and transfigured bodies. At the end of the age, those who have died will be restored to full life, embodied life, in a transfigured way. You know, just a a basic point, Jews, unlike Greek philosophers, were not dualists. They didn't think so much of body, soul as two different realities. They thought of the human person as radically one. And therefore, if they seriously entertained the possibility of life after death, it was, of course, an embodied life. It's this view, as I say, that we find in our first reading. You know, it's a terrible story. We're familiar with it. It's during that time when Jews were being persecuted. Here we have a a whole family that's being compelled against Jewish law to eat pork. What they do is they heroically refuse, even at the threat of death. Listen now to one of the sons as he faces death. He says to his executioner, You accursed fiend, you are depriving us of this present life, but the king of the world will raise us up to live again forever. Ah, now there's this distinctive doctrine. Yes, you're killing us, but the Lord will raise us up. Now, lest we think this is a disembodied existence, listen to the next son. As he holds out his hands to his executioner, who's going to cut them off, and he says, It was from heaven that I receive these. For the sake of his laws, I disdain them. And from him, I hope to receive them again. Extraordinary, isn't it? Okay, this cruel executioner is going to cut off his hands. But the brother says, well, fine. Heaven gave them to me. And heaven, one day, will give them back to me. Now here's the last brother as he dies. It is my choice to die at the hands of men with the hope that God who gives being will raise me up. Same idea. God at the end of time will raise up these heroic martyrs. Notice, please, this is not Platonic dualism. 
This is not the language of souls escaping from bodies. Nor is this the rhetoric of gloomy, shadowy Sheol. This is not the Elysian fields, and it's certainly not a resignation to nothingness. No, no. These young men are filled with an enormous confidence that God will, in his love, restore to a full and elevated bodily life those who have died. Okay. It's against this kind of rich background that we have to read the gospel for today. We hear about the Sadducees. They were kind of a priestly caste or party often associated with the temple worship in Jerusalem. And famously, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They would have followed those texts that say, no, the dead die and they return to the earth. Well, Jesus has been preaching a different doctrine, and the Sadducees have heard him. So they pose to him this conundrum, this little puzzle that's meant to embarrass him and confute his belief in the resurrection. So they come up with this famous story about, well, here's this woman who, who was married to seven brothers, and each one died. Now it's the general resurrection. Which one is her husband? Okay. Again, it's meant to sort of mock belief in the resurrection. Jesus' answer here, I think, is very illuminating, and it's right on our question. First of all, he concedes nothing to the Sadducees. Rather, he corrects their crude misunderstanding of this transformed life. See, what does their conundrum presuppose? Well, that the resurrection is just like life in this world. It's just like a you know, return to this ordinary life. What's Jesus implying? He says, in this next life, the resurrected life, this elevated, transfigured life, people are not married or given in marriage. Now, how come? It's a very interesting thing when you think about it. One of the prime purposes of marriage is the propagation of children. But see, the propagation of children in some ways is predicated upon our own mortality. Why do we have children? Well, because we know that we're going to die. And so our children will carry on the life of the, of the human race. Children, the propagation of children, is tied to mortality. Jesus says we will not marry or be given in marriage in the next life because we don't die. We don't die, and therefore there's not this concern to carry on the race through children. But see the point he's making. The resurrected life, yes, is an embodied life, but now an elevated, transfigured embodied life no longer saddled with mortality, but now clothed in immortality. Now, this gospel is a great anticipation of the central truth of our faith, which is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus died. All the gospels clearly witnessed the terrible truth of Jesus' death at the hands of these executioners. Now, much like the story from 2 Maccabees. Jesus is a martyr at the hands of the enemies of Israel. He dies and he's buried. Okay, what happened to him? Nobody in the gospel talks about Jesus' soul escaping from his body in a sort of platonic uh, prison break. Nobody talks about Jesus going down to Sheol or down to the Elysian fields to some boring, listless existence. 
Nobody says he just died and stayed in his grave and that was it. What do they say? Jesus rose. Embodied. He rose physically from the dead. They touch him. He eats in their presence. He says, put your finger in the wounds. Put your hand in my side. The physicality of the resurrection is affirmed. But, but, it is not simply a return to this ordinary life. Jesus signals in numerous ways how he transcends the limitations of space and time. Embodied, yes. Real, yes. Objective, of course. And transfigured, elevated. When they asked St. Paul about this, what's the resurrection like? He speaks of a spiritual body. That's a great little phrase, isn't it? Is the resurrected life an embodied life? Yes. But it's a body that's been spiritualized, elevated, transformed, transfigured. In all of this, beginning with the Old Testament text, expressed beautifully in the Maccabees text, expressed in Jesus' battle with the Sadducees, and then finally expressed in the great text of the resurrection, we see this Catholic truth that we look for the resurrection of the dead. We await the resurrection of the body. Higher, more beautiful, elevated, transformed and transfigured life through God's love. Friends, that's what happens to us after we die. Thank God for it. And may God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. Cardinal George says, It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 43 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries willing to help you during times of loss. Call 708-449-6100 for assistance. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.